0: Stop the steal. Today I will lay out just some of the evidence proving that we won this election and we won it by a landslide. This was not a close election. And after this, we're going to walk down and I'll be there with you. We're going to walk down. We're going to walk down to the Capitol.
1: And as I entered the house chamber gallery staffers started running through the chamber through the gallery closing all the doors telling people that they can't go in or out so then we were on lockdown so they barricaded the door and they had guns drawn at the door and we were watching as rioters started hunching through the windows and, and trying to get in with officers shouting, get back, get back. And so myself and my colleagues, we were photographing because that was the only thing that we could do at the moment.
2: Welcome to Politicology. I'm Ron Steslow. As we uncover the truth of what happened on January 6th and how we got to that dark and pivotal moment in our nation's history, We've talked with an investigative journalist, Scott McFarlane, who is covering the prosecution of the attackers, and he helped us understand the scope of the largest criminal investigation in U.S. history. We've talked to elections expert David Becker and Georgia Democratic political strategist Darren Johnson about the prevalence of the big lie and new anti-democratic legislation built on it. We've talked with former federal prosecutor Michael Zeldin about Republican attempts to whitewash the attack, and even former CIA official Mark Polymeropoulos, who helped us think through the ongoing domestic terror threats in the wake of the insurrection. Yet, we haven't talked to someone who was there in the U.S. Capitol on January 6th during the siege. So, today, I'm grateful to be sitting in studio with Gabriella Demchuk, a documentary artist and photographer. Gabriela's work has been featured in some of the most well-respected media outlets in the world, including the New York Times, Time Magazine, The Atlantic, The Washington Post, and CNN, and dozens of other outlets in the U.S. and across the globe. Gabriela, thank you so much for doing this. I, I'm sure this can't be easy to talk about.
1: Well, thank you for having me.
2: So our listeners will be interested to know this is your second time in the Politicology Studio. You and I actually met earlier this year when you were shooting a Rolling Stone feature of a special recording we did with George Conway and Mike Madrid and Jennifer Horn. And that's where I learned you had been embedded at the Capitol. So can you tell us a bit about your, first of all, welcome back. Thank you. (laughs) Can you tell us a bit about your professional background and then how it came to be that you were embedded at the Capitol on January 6th?
1: Yeah, I've been a independent photographer for about a decade, covering politics in Washington and national news across America. And I was not planning on being there on January But I got a last minute phone call from my editor at New York Magazine the night before, letting me know that their writer, Olivia Newsy, was working on a profile of Representative Madison Cawthorn and asked if I would want to photograph him. His office was giving me access throughout the day. And so knowing that this was going to be an important event Mm -hmm. and an event that we were not likely to see behind the scenes of the Republican side. Yeah. I thought this was a great opportunity to bring a different perspective to that.
2: And what did you expect to see that day?
1: I knew that there would be restrictions on where I could photograph. Mm -hmm. And as photographers are not allowed on the House floor, a lot of what I was hoping to see and to photograph was Representative Cawthorn at the rally, interacting with supporters and protesters who were there. And then also seeing him with his staff at his office, photographing him there as they are trying to prepare for this vote.
2: Was anyone else with you that day when you went to cover him? No. Okay. So it's just you two. And uh, I'd love to walk through what that day looked like um, from the beginning. I imagine you were up very early. So starting with the Save America rally on the National Mall, it was, it's just you and the congressman. Where did you meet him?
1: So I had been texting with his, uh, with his aide throughout the morning, trying to meet up with him. I was trying to get backstage with him, but because President Trump was then coming uh, to the rally, they wouldn't allow me access backstage anymore. Okay. So then I spent the morning just walking around the rally, photographing the rally, and then trying to get into a position where I could see Cawthorn on stage. So yeah. I could photograph him from the angle of the crowd.
2: Okay. So as you're walking around the crowd at the rally and preparing to capture a shot that might end up in um, in publication, did anything seem off to you about the crowd? It was, at that point in the morning, did anything seem, you know, odd?
1: Not so much. Um, I was there right at the beginning of the rally. And so... Things were still pretty calm. People were still walking to the rally, walking to uh, was it the Oval, where yeah. they're holding the rally? Yeah,
2: the ellipse. The ellipse. Right.
1: There was a lot of energy. I yeah. felt that was building up, but at that moment, it was it was still pretty calm.
2: I imagine doing what you do. You've been in a lot of situations where the energy can be uncomfortable or you're 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 watching. You find yourself in very tense situations. How do you separate yourself from that and just be a lens to watch it through? how How does that feel to you?
1: Well, I think having that lens as a photographer really helps me. Having that physical barrier on my face yeah. as I'm photographing yeah. really does disconnect you from what you're seeing, because you are seeing it through a viewfinder. yeah. And so in some cases, it doesn't even feel like reality. And you're so focused on finding the moment, finding an image that's going to tell the entire story, you really separate yourself sometimes from what is happening. So you can do your job.
2: Yeah, I imagine you would have to.
1: And then a lot of times when you go back to look at the images and go through the images, that's, I think, when everything starts to hit you. Hmm.
2: So we have a little bit of Representative Cawthorn's remarks from that rally when he finally took the stage. Let's take a listen.
0: Wow, this crowd has some fight in it. I am so thankful that each and every single one of you have come. You know, I just rolled down from the Capitol building about two miles away down Pennsylvania Avenue. And I will tell you, the courage that I see in this crowd is not represented on that hill. My friends, I will tell you right now that there is a new Republican Party rising. The the founders of our great country saw to it that the people who consent to be governed should have a voice in that government. But my friends, the Democrats, with all the fraud they have done in this election, The Republicans hiding and not fighting, they are trying to silence your voice. Make no mistake about it, they do not want you to be heard. But, my friends, when I look out this crowd, I can confidently say this crowd has the voice of lions. There is a new Republican Party on the rise that will represent this country, that will go and fight in Washington, D.C. I'll tell you. I see so many of my friends who are up in Congress with me who are about to go back to that Capitol Hill, and at 12 o'clock today, we will be contesting the election. But my friends, bear in mind there is a significant portion of our party that says we should just sit idly by and sit on our hands. They have no backbone! My friends, I encourage you. Continue to make your voice heard because do we love Donald Trump? But my friends, we're not doing this just for Donald Trump. We are doing this for the Constitution. Our Constitution was violated.
2: Was there anything in what the congressman said, either during his remarks or after in private, that might have indicated his level of sincerity? We know he voted to overturn the election, but did he actually believe that the election was stolen?
1: I think he wanted to believe that it was stolen. I think that he understood what it meant to overturn an election, to vote no against the population. He was definitely struggling with what that would mean for the future, Hmm. for democracy. But in the end, he wanted to believe that this was the right thing to do.
2: When did the crowd start to feel angry? And, 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 you know, do you remember when the temperature sort of changed?
1: We started to see the energy, the emotions start to build up as speakers were coming onto the stage. I left the rally when... Cawthorn finished. Okay. And I walked back with him to the Capitol to his office. Okay. So I wasn't there for the entire rally. I didn't see Trump come on stage. And so I was really pretty separated from the rest of what was happening.
2: Got it. So that was when you finally met up with him mm-hmm. after he finished speaking. Um, Okay, so now take us to the Capitol. You meet up with him after his remarks at the rally, and then you walk together back to the House side?
1: Yeah, so we walked back to his office on the House side. I spent about an hour with him in his office as they were getting ready to go to the, the House floor for these votes. He and his aides were going over evidence that they had found okay. of uh, tampering, tampering with elections and so they were going over all of this as they were sitting at lunch and I walked with them to the house floor and then from there I had about an hour before I could then go into the house chamber to photograph so they had started at one o'clock I was told to come in at two o'clock to photograph and so that window I had gone back to my office to work on some photos get some lunch Take and a deep
2: breath. A, yeah, take a deep breath. <laughs> I imagine.
1: And then as I am sitting there eating my lunch and, and trying to get things prepared, I started getting text from a friend of mine who was telling me that the protesters were starting to march to the Capitol. Mm. And so I was looking a little bit at the TV and the news and, and seeing what was happening, but still not really understanding the full extent of it.
2: Yeah.
1: I then... As it was approaching two o'clock, I left my office, went to the Capitol, and went to the third floor and looked out the window that overlooked the east side. And so I could see a gathering of people, of, of Trump supporters there. And I was photographing them from up there, and I could see them at the metal barricades starting to rocket and oh, push wow. it down. And then they ran up to the police who were standing at the steps of the Capitol. I could see them yelling at the police officers in their faces, uh, telling them that this is, this is our house. And so as things started to escalate, police who were in the Capitol on the third floor started to tell us to get back, mm. to move away from the windows. And at that point, it was getting close to 2 o'clock. I knew I needed to be at the house chamber. So I ran over to the house chamber. And as I entered the house chamber, gallery staffers started running through the chamber, through the gallery, closing all the doors, telling people that they can't go in or out. So then we were on lockdown.
2: When you saw the police begin to react that way inside the Capitol, what were you thinking what were you feeling was that that didn't i imagine it didn't feel like um like normal business operations
1: no but also there are so many rules and regulations about where you can photograph mm-hmm. on the hill and so i was not surprised that someone came over and said you can't be there <laughs> yeah yeah <laughs> cuz that happens all the time yeah so so yeah, so it, it, in my mind, it, it still wasn't clicking. Just the extent of of what was happening, of what, what was, was going coming. on around me, yeah. because I also wasn't seeing what was happening on the other side of the Capitol, right. which had thousands of people there.
2: Yeah, so we should orient uh, the story for our listeners. So when we talk about the east side, that's the visitor center side, and it faces the Supreme Court, but. Most of the protesters were walking over from the Ellipse, which is on the west side of the Capitol, and that's that's where the 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 most of the images I think people have seen were on that side. So you you didn't see what was going on over there. No. So you went straight from the third floor, watching the east side, down to the House Chamber, which is where you met up with Cawthorn again.
1: So I had to go into the press gallery, which is on the third floor. And we are only allowed to photograph from the balconies.
2: Ah, okay.
1: So I wasn't able to meet up with him again, but I was able to go and photograph him um, from the balconies in the House chamber.
2: Okay. So in the chamber, this was during the dual session to count the electoral votes. The vice president, the speaker of the House, and the president pro temp of the Senate were all there. Um, And for our listeners, that's uh, the first, second, and third in the presidential line of succession. (laughs) What kind of security did you have to go through to get into the Capitol?
1: It was normal security. I had gotten into the Hill through the House side when I was with Representative Cawthorn. Yeah. And from there, I take tunnels to and from the Capitol. Okay. So at that point, I never went back outside.
2: Okay. Okay. So, the moment you realized you were in lockdown, what was what was happening, what began to happen around you?
1: People were were surprised, were a little agitated, especially as journalists since I was in the press gallery. Yeah. Our jobs is to to cover what's happening.
2: Yeah. Well, there <laughs> and are, so there're a lot of other journalists with you?
1: Yeah. So okay. there were other print reporters, radio reporters, photographers. We were all locked into the press gallery. And so, yeah, so our job is to cover what is happening. And so when we're locked in in a room, we can't do our jobs. So I think there's some agitation about not being able to go out and just sit there.
2: Yeah. So when did you leave the press gallery?
1: So we were sitting there for about 10 minutes. And then the gallery staffers told us that we had to go into the chamber.
2: The actual House chamber. Yes. Where so, you would otherwise not be allowed to go.
1: We, so at that point, the session had already broken up um, and it was only the House members in the House chamber. Senate has got had gone okay. to their side. Okay. And we were sitting in the gallery of the third floor and only a certain amount of people can be in the balcony at a time, and so they were regulating how many people can be out there. Especially with COVID, we have yeah. to keep our distance, and so we were locked into the actual chamber. But then, I believe, as the rioters had gotten to the doors of the Capitol, that's when they brought us to the balconies. They just brought everybody from the gallery onto the balcony. Onto the
2: balcony. And did you know that the rioters were at the door at that point? Or were you really just following instructions?
1: I was mostly following instructions. Okay. I was not keeping up with what was happening around me at that point.
2: Yeah, I imagine. Um, So what happened when the chamber was finally evacuated?
1: So when we were brought into the balcony, they were still debating. I believe it was Arizona. Okay. And they didn't know what was happening.
2: The members didn't? No. Okay.
1: I think there were a few, there were members on the balcony who were also trying to distance themselves because of COVID. Okay. Some of them were on their phones. They were seeing what was happening. A few of them were getting upset about it. And, and I believe one of them actually shouted out, this is all your fault. mm. And I think at that point, nobody really—it didn't really register with people
2: how serious it was. how
1: serious it was, and and why he was he was doing this. And as they were debating, one of the sergeants came to the podium and told everybody that we were going into lockdown. Oh. So everyone took their seats, and we were sitting there waiting. And then we were told that we had to get our gas masks. From underneath the the seats. yeah. I believe they had said that tear gas or something was deployed in the Capitol. So we all had to get our our masks out.
2: At this point, are you just looking around at the other journalists and, and everybody else there in the balcony wondering what's going on? Is there a sense of confusion or alarm or how are people reacting?
1: Confusion, alarm, and trying to do our jobs. Okay. So the photographers around me were all photographing at this moment because it's just, it's something you never see. Right. You never see congressmen pulling out gas masks right. on the House floor. Yeah. So we're photographing the scene. Reporters are live streaming what's happening. They're on Twitter trying to update everybody what's happening. But again, we don't, we don't know what's happening around us.
2: Right. So this sounds like the, the, the turning point where you may have gone from, okay, there's some kind of security situation, but it's being dealt with to, oh, something really serious is happening because uh, I can see it around me because we're pulling out gas masks and there's, there's, there's a threat. Yeah. So you didn't stay there. Um, How long were you there and where did you go afterward? And when did you finally meet up with Cawthorn again?
1: So at one point, they started evacuating everybody that was on the floor. And they were rushing everybody off the floor. And when they got everybody off the floor, they started to evacuate everyone on the balcony. And so as we were trying to get to the door, which was on the far side of the balcony, we had to jump over chairs and... Yeah. Um, Not a lot of entrances. (laughs) No. (laughs) Yeah. And so as we were trying to get to the far side of the door of the the room, that's when we heard gunshots.
2: Hmm.
1: And in hindsight, that is when uh, the insurrectionist, Ashley Babbitt, was Hmm. killed. Because where our balcony is, is right above the speaker's hallway. Oh, wow. So when I heard that, I knew right away what that was. Yeah. So I told everybody around me to get down. Yeah. And at that moment, they closed the door that we were evacuating from and made us shelter behind seats on the third floor on the balcony. And there were other members of Congress up there as well
2: wow. with us. So how did you recognize what was happening so immediately?
1: From years of, of covering protests and uprisings um, and from covering mass shootings. I have covered uh, the, the Parkland mass shooting in Florida in 2018. I spent a lot of time with students who were there talking to them about their experience and what they felt. And I had flashbacks to that moment when I was hiding underneath the desk. And that was the first thing I thought about were were these kids who were in this exact position as I was then.
2: Where did you go after that?
1: So as we were sheltering in place, plainclothes officers were moving furniture in front of the front door to the House floor. So it's the door that the president normally walks through as he's entering for the State of the Union. So they barricaded the door, and they had guns drawn at the door. And we were watching as rioters started punching through the windows and, and trying to get in with officers shouting, get back, get back. And so myself and my colleagues, we were photographing because that was the only thing that we could do at the moment. And this went on for maybe five minutes or so. And then I think they were finally able to secure the third floor. So they opened up the the door again and had us evacuate out the third floor. And as we were evacuating, we saw rioters... Um, on the floor their, uh, their stomachs on the floor completely face down uh, officers around them with riot gear on and then we just evacuated from there down to the basement through the tunnels back to the house side but we weren't allowed to go into the chamber into the hideout with other members of congress so the press was we literally left stranded in the hallway wow in the on the house side wow so we we sat around for maybe 10-15 minutes um myself and some other photographers we were on our computers trying to send out images um trying to figure out what's going on uh texting with family and friends telling yeah. them that we're okay yeah and as we were waiting out there one of the aides from Congressman Gallego's office of Arizona came out and told us that we could go with him. And so we went into his room, into his office, and spent the, the rest of the night waiting there.
2: Were you thinking about sort of your own safety and what might happen next at that point? And what were those texts to friends and family like?
1: I, as I said earlier about how you kind of separate yourself from what's happening when you're photographing, I think I allowed myself to separate from that moment. And so it didn't really hit me until I got back to the office. But at the same time, there's adrenaline rushing through you, and you're trying to make sense of everything that just happened. At the same time, you're also trying to reassure family and friends that you're okay, that you, you'll be safe. You are safe. And also coordinating with my editor and talking to other reporters. And working still. And working. <laughs> <laughs> so you're, you're really juggling these, these two things of being a journalist and, and being human that just yeah. witnessed this yeah. and experienced this, this traumatic event.
2: Was there any one particular sort of oh shit moment that stands out to you?
1: I don't know if there was one moment. I think the whole thing was just, it's just something you never would have imagined could take place at the Capitol. Yeah. I spoke with a lot of other colleagues about how they felt, and it was the same thing where you see the Capitol as a safe space, yeah. as a place where physically you are safe. Metaphorically, you might not be safe. Yeah, sure. <laughs> but at least physically, you, you don't feel like that any yeah. harm will come to you. Yeah. And so at that moment, that bubble, that idea, really just, it burst.
2: Yeah. What was your read of Congressman Cawthorn um, during this time, during this, this moment? Um, of the capital attack. And did he seem nervous or scared? Were you able to observe that?
1: I wasn't able to observe him too much because they were, they did evacuate members on the floor very quickly. Though I did see him again later in the evening when they all went back to the
2: mm-hmm. chamber.
1: Um, and so I photographed him there and he seemed tired, stressed. It was late, probably around midnight when we were all there. Yeah. But then I also saw him writing notes to Josh Hawley.
2: I was wondering if there was anything in his body language or his expression that made you think he felt responsible in some way um, for what was happening or, or, or if there was some, you know, indicator of regret, did you see anything like that?
1: Not that I can tell.
2: When did you first hear someone say something putting the blame on Trump um, or on Republicans uh, who'd fed into the lie about the election?
1: I think I started hearing more about that later on as we started to, Learn more about what was happening during those hours when the reports were coming out that Leader McCarthy had been on a phone call with President Trump, and other members were trying to contact Trump yeah. to tell him to to tell everybody to just to, to get back.
2: So you watched Republicans doing this?
1: I did not. No, hmm. those were the reports that I was hearing uh, as the days went on.
2: I see. What were you thinking about as you went home that night?
1: I was exhausted and so much was going through my head that night. I couldn't sleep for a week. Oh, wow. I couldn't look at the news. I couldn't look at social media, watch the videos. I would just get so tired that I couldn't do anything the rest of the day. So I had to go back to bed and, and sleep it off and
2: You mentioned earlier how inside you really didn't have any visibility into what was happening on the outside. And I imagine it wouldn't be for many hours and days later um, as the rest of the world started to see more and more images coming out. What was it like assimilating or, or, or integrating a lot of the knowledge about what was happening on the outside with your own experience? I had to cover
1: the second impeachment that came the following week. Oh man.
2: Oh man. <laughs> so you went right back.
1: I went right back. But in some ways it I needed that. I needed to go back to that space where I had just experienced where the nation had just experienced, this very traumatizing event.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: And because I had spent a decade covering the Capitol, I still had different, a different experience with the Capitol than just that one day. So being back there allowed some, some healing. Yeah. And also got me out of the room, out of the house got me out of my head. Yeah. and yeah. allowed me to 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 keep working and yeah. and um
2: and get back behind the lens. Yeah.
1: But then it was also but it was really difficult sitting during the impeachment and watching the videos. Yeah. Cuz like I said I I hadn't watched any of it that week. And yeah, so it was just
2: so you go back Having, having not watched a lot of this material and you're working, covering the impeachment and you're and in the process of doing your work, you're seeing what happened to you that day. Yeah. <laughs> okay. I want to step out of the January 6th timeline now. Um, how are you doing? <laughs> okay. <laughs> Is this tough to talk about?
1: Yeah, it can yeah. be.
2: Have you talked about this before?
1: With close friends, family. Yeah.
2: Thank you for sharing this with us. Representative Cawthorne was fairly quick to condemn the violence, um, but he has not shown regret for attending the rally at the mall or for anything that he said. Do you think he shoulders any of the blame for what happened that day? And I think most importantly, how does it feel knowing exactly what he went through that day, that he still stands by his actions.
1: Well, I mean, if you read in Olivia Newsy's piece, it seemed that he believes that he actually made things a little better, that he stopped the worst from happening. So I don't... I don't know if he has any remorse or... I think... I mean, honestly, I'm not surprised yeah. that we've seen so many Republicans try to whitewash this and, and change the narrative of what happened that day. Yeah. I think Trump has laid a foundation for how to avoid any accountability. And I think at this moment, it's, it's about party. It is no longer about the people, democracy. It is about keeping power at all costs.
2: Our listeners probably don't know your personal background, but you're Lebanese. Mm -hmm. You are born in Sweden, raised in Luxembourg, I believe. Mm -hmm. Is that right? Um, And Belgium, before coming to the States. So I wonder if you could apply a little bit of perspective here and tell us what you think other parts of the world were, were thinking, feeling as they witnessed from the outside what happened here. Scores of Republicans <laughs> who were there that day trying to rewrite what happened when the whole world watched it uh, and the lengths that, that they're going to to prevent an accurate investigation. I'm sure you have friends, many friends abroad, um, What have their impressions been?
1: You know, I think so many people were in disbelief that it could happen here at the Capitol. It's something that we see in other countries, but not here. Yeah. But I think it's something that I've been thinking a lot about is not just our democracy, but democracy in general. Yeah. We are at a point that is so fragile. In, with democracies and democratic systems across the world. And it's the one thing that Biden campaigned on was to save the soul of America, which is really saving democracy. That's right. And it was what he wanted to talk about during his first international trip, meeting with European leaders, was the, the role of democracy and strengthening democracy.
2: Yeah.
1: And... There are a lot of people right now who are questioning whether the democratic system is a viable system, yeah. is a system that's working. And there's so many inside and outside government who are doing everything they can to pull the threads, degrade the system, make sure it doesn't work. and to legitimize it. Yeah. And what we saw on January 6th, what we are seeing with a pandemic, we're, really, we're seeing the failings and the holes of the system. And instre- instead of trying to strengthen it and to fill in those holes, yeah. things are just on the edge. Yeah, And especially with climate crisis, I think that is going to show the durability of our democracy.
2: We've talked on this podcast Um, about American exceptionalism and how that has contributed to the idea that something like this couldn't happen here and the importance that America holds, held in many parts of the world as the shining city on a hill. Do you think Americans take democracy for granted?
1: I think so. I think for a long time, certain Americans believed it was something that was just inherent To America that we would just have it it would always be here you don't have to work for it but as we've seen throughout American history is so many people have been left out of democracy and they have always had to fight for it and so now we are seeing that everybody has to fight for it and everyone is being pulled into that fight now to keep democracy going.
2: How do you think people not in America look at us now specifically regarding the implications of January 6th and democracy and whether or not fighting for it is worth it?
1: I don't know. I feel like it can go either way. There are some who will see this moment and be and say, "Look, even America can't hold it and it's not working for America." So, why should we continue doing it? Or why should we have it? I think time will tell.
2: Thank you for being here.
1: Thank you for having me.
2: Before I let you go, Gabriella, where can everybody find you on the internet?
1: I am on Instagram and Twitter at G Demchek.
2: And you should really check out Gabriella's Instagram, it's terrific. Thank you to everyone at home and on the go for listening. There are a number of ways you can help support this work and our mission. You can donate, which helps support the huge team and the effort that goes into every Politicology episode on the main feed. Or you can join the growing, thriving community of Politicology Plus members and gain access to hours of special content designed to help you think like a political strategist look further down the road than everyone else, and understand the forces and figures shaping the fight for democracy. If you're not already in our Politicology Plus community, you can unlock this premium content at politicology.com slash plus. You can share this episode, or one of your favorites, with friends, family, and colleagues. Podcasts tend to grow based on word of mouth, and this helps us reach more people. Finally, you can rate five stars in the Apple Podcasts app and leave us a review there because this helps us rise in the rankings so that new people can discover politicology organically. If you have questions about anything we've talked about, you can reach us, as always, at podcast at And even when we can't respond, we do read everything you send us, whether it's an episode idea, a guest recommendation, or a simple note about how the show has impacted you and we love hearing from you. I'm Ron Steslow. I'll see you in the next episode.